May I speak in the name of God, who is lover, beloved, and love sharer. Amen. It's good to have two babies with us this morning, who in a moment will be invited into the Fellowship of Christ Church through baptism. Please don't be uh, concerned about the noise that they may make. My voice is louder. In Piers Paul Reed's novel, The Death of a Pope, a conversation is taking place over dinner in Kampala, Uganda, between a young English reporter named Kate and a Catholic aid worker named Oriati. And Oriati is explaining to Kate Uganda's tribal and political complexity. And he mentions the 45 Bagandan martyrs slain in the 19th century by the king of Baganda, which is today modern Uganda. Of the 45 martyrs, 22 were Roman Catholic. The rest were Anglican. And Oriati says, the church flourished on the blood of the martyrs, and it was like the early days of the church. Twenty-two Catholics were canonized by Pope Paul VI. Kate asks, so aren't the Anglican martyrs in heaven? Uriati smiles. I dare say, But the Church of England doesn't make saints. They don't have a Pope. And on the pecking order of sainthood, the martyrs are the crowning glory. However, as Oriati hints at, it remains a thorny question as to what we mean when we talk about the saints. Because the word saint has two distinct meanings, depending on whether you're using a capital S or a small s. Oriati is correct. Saints with a capital S can only be made by the Pope, which after the Reformation severely limits sainthood to members of the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a nice question. What is the post-death status of the Anglican martyrs? Are they non-official saints with a capital S, or just merely saints, with a small s. The primary qualification for being a saint of any kind is that you have to be quite dead. And the second qualification to be a saint with a capital S is that you have to be an elite Christian. One who has not only been an elite Christian in life, but has also enjoyed the good fortune of being in communion with the Bishop of Rome. And when we think of saints, our imaginations conjure up the medieval vision of the three-tiered universe. And at the top tier, we have the saints with a capital S, 
These were known as the church triumphant. And because of their extraordinary living, they were understood upon death to go straight to heaven, where the writer of the book of Revelation pictures them as robed in white, standing around God's throne, singing praises 24-7. And we traditionally commemorate these saints on November the 1st, the Feast of All Saints. Even for Episcopalians, who as Anglicans can't really make saints anymore, the Feast of All Saints is so important a feast that it is the only one of four that the prayer book allows to be transferred to the following Sunday. Yet what about the saints with a small s? The ordinary Christians who have died without any record of having lived lives of extraordinary holiness or died the death of a martyr. Traditionally, we commemorate these in a more mournful tone on November the 2nd in the Feast of All Souls. Now, this vision of a three-tiered universe, the saints in triumph, then beneath them, the smallest saints, the saints, the church in expectation. What happens to those who die in this category is that depending on your theology, they are understood to either rest in peace or writhe in the fires of purgatory. You can take your theological pick. But either way, they wait in expectation for the second coming of Christ, at which point the saints triumphant, whose souls are with God, and the saints expectant, who are waiting the second coming, are raised to new life, resurrected by Christ. And this draws on a apocalyptic theme that runs through the Old Testament as well as the New. For the righteous of Israel, as the book of wisdom tells us, their souls are in the hands of God. But what about the bottom tier of this three-decker universe? Well, that's you and me. Those of us who have not yet died. We are the church militant here in earth. And some of you will remember, those of you who can remember the 1928 prayer book, that at the start of the intercessions, there is this wonderful call to prayer. Let us pray for the whole state of Christ's church, militant here in earth. We are the church militant. Those we have loved who have died are the church expectant. And those who are canonized as saints, are the church triumphant. Now today, this three-decade universe, <clears throat> while it still influences our imagination, it no longer appeals to the way we look at the world. Today, uh, we don't like this idea of hierarchies of saints. 
And so we've tended to run saints with a capital S and saints with a small s together. And today we celebrate them all. We draw on a new image, a more egalitarian image, which we call the communion of saints. And as the writer to the book of Hebrews says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us with perpetual prayer and love. And we experience the presence of the saints, the communion of saints in our lives because as relationship ties us together here in this life, relationship continues to unite us with the dead loved ones and all those whose witness in life provides us with hope and courage for our living. And this is why in our Anglican tradition, though we can't make saints anymore, we continue to remember exemplary Christians in our calendar of lesser feasts and fasts. The saints with a capital S, those canonized by a pope, and the saints with a small s, those of our own, we continue to remember, are now seen as one, united together in living within one communion of saints. Now, although the distinction between all saints and all souls has begun to recede, for me it's important still to make a distinction. Because psychologically, rather than eschatologically, human beings face the event of death with two sets of different emotions. We celebrate the entry of the souls of our loved ones into the nearer presence of God. And yet, at the same time, we mourn, we grieve the loss of them from our lives. And to keep the distinction between all saints and all souls does at least honor our dichotomy of need. In our readings this morning, in the letter to the Ephesians, we have this reference to having so great an inheritance. That's you and me. We're the ones in Ephesians who have so great an inheritance. And in Luke's gospel, we read the Beatitudes, and Jesus is not talking about anybody who's died there. Because St. Paul uses the word saint, hagios, 44 times in his writings. And elsewhere in the New Testament, it appears at least 62 other times. And so saint in the New Testament does not mean elite Christians whose souls now enjoy a mortal life with God. It refers to ordinary Christians engaged in the daily task of discipleship on this side of the grave. And the hymn, I Sing a Song of the Saints of God, which we've just sung, picks up this usage. When allowing for the quaintness of such an English vision, it says, The world is bright with the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. 
You can meet them in school, or in lanes, or at sea, in church, or on trains, or in shops, or at tea. You see, because in the New Testament, to be a saint, you don't have to be dead. And Luke tells us that Jesus, turning to his disciples, began to speak. And he says, how blessed are you who are in need. The kingdom of God is yours. How blessed are you who now go hungry. Your hunger shall be satisfied. How blessed are you who weep now. You shall laugh. You see, because in the New Testament, it is through baptism and not death that we become saints. Through our baptism, we come into relationship together within the community of Christ's church. And here, we participate in the miraculous at the level of everyday life. The act of listening brings the miracle of healing to a brother or a sister in pain. Sometimes offering ourselves to stand in the place of fear with another and so signal that together we can survive being afraid and thereby we contribute to the miracle of courage, which is an expectation of the kingdom in the here and now. The smile of welcome and acceptance of another's difference and the pledge of solidarity with another's struggle. The generosity and grace in providing material support of money or food to another in need. All are the miracles of everyday life. And I call them miracles because through them we participate in God's regeneration of the world through acts of love and self-sacrifice. And I continue to remind all of us at Trinity Cathedral concerning these two months of the annual renewal program. This is a reflection on our exercise of tender competence for one another and for the world. And at the heart of this process is an invitation. As we begin to plan for the ways that each one of us will support the life of this community in 2014, God is inviting each one of us to connect with our sources of gratitude and to become accountable to the calling to be God's saints in this place. For if you look around, there is no one else but us to do this work. And God invites you and me to live up to the nobility of our saintly calling by never missing an opportunity to embrace a generous action. And gratitude, generosity, and service, these are our watchwords here. These are the building blocks of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, like being a saint, is not something for the life hereafter. It is living 
and active and cuts like a two-edged sword into the here and now of our lives together. And so we have a role to play, be it high or lofty or down and dirty. For the saints of God are folk like you and me. And we mean to be one too. Amen.